take your copy of God's Word, would you, and turn with me. Going to Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians chapter 3. As you turn there, we'll be there in just a moment, but I wonder, have you ever, have you ever camped in a tent for 10 days? <laughs> yeah, it's a goofy question, isn't it? If you're the least bit, here's, here's, a, here's a life lesson for you. If you're the least bit dissatisfied, with your living accommodations, <laughs> I highly recommend it. Go live in a tent for 10 days. Go take two weeks of vacation, and in those 14 days, spend 10 days in a tent, okay? It'll be good for you. Ask me how I know. I always tell my kids, don't do this, do this. Ask me how I know. You should not do that. Or maybe, in this case, ask me how I know. If you do this, you'll come home really happy with where you live. <laughs> We've learned that the more stuff we take camping, the more happy we are. But we've also learned that no matter how much stuff you bring from home, it's still a lot of work not living at home, not being at home for the week. It's still a lot of work. But I'll tell you what, camping can be refreshing. It can be a change of pace. It can be a change of scenery. It can be, definitely be a changing of attitude once you come back to your wonderful living accommodations at home where there are clean floors and light switches and flushing toilets and things like that. And I don't have to fix supper anymore. <sighs> it's amazing how things look so good when you come home and you're eager to get back into those places. Coming home can be so good after being away, living in a tent where your living room was a dirt floor and you had raccoon visitors every night. Well, I think we, we, uh, we dodged that bullet this year, but we have had that in the past. <laughs> Things are beautiful again when you come home. Isn't it great to come home? Isn't it great to anticipate coming home? And then you open the door to your place. Those things that you were kind of like, ah, oh, that really irritates me about this place. When you come home, you totally forget that. doesn't matter anymore. Today we arrive at the conclusion of Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to see a very sharp contrast here to our study last week. If you were with us last week, you saw as we looked at verses 18 and 19, Paul was teaching believers to avoid those who are sinful examples. And he uses some very strong language in those verses. He calls those people enemies of the cross of Christ. But in those last two verses, and these last two verses that we get to at the end of chapter 3, in these last two verses, the perspective changes. The scenery changes. The outlook changes. And as we read these two verses, verses 20 and 21, I want you to watch for three realities to the heavenly home and hope of all believers in Jesus Christ. So I want you to look in verses 20 and 21. First, we'll look for the believer's citizenship, then the believer's expectation, and then the believer's transformation. Follow along as I read from the English Standard Version. Just two verses at the end of chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. 
but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I want you to note first, looking at verse 20 again, the believer's citizenship. It's there we see the believer's citizenship. And when Paul writes to the church at Philippi that their citizenship is in heaven, speaking to believers, those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there in verse 20, he's using a concept that they were very familiar with in their everyday lives because Philippi was a colony of Rome. They were citizens of Rome, even though they were not living in Rome. They were living away from Rome, far from Rome. Theirs was a city under the control of Rome. One commentator explains this way, saying, Rome settled communities of army veterans called colonies as garrisons in conquered territory. Augustus extended this practice by giving full Roman citizenship not only to settlements of veterans, but to important provincial cities and to men who had distinguished themselves in public service. These provincial communities held equal rights and privileges with the citizens of Rome itself. In return, they were expected to represent Rome and all things Roman to their neighbors so that the Roman way of life might permeate their province. And so Paul comes along and uses a very fitting illustration here for the Philippian believers. They knew firsthand what Roman citizenship was, and it was a good way for Paul to explain the difference between enemies of the cross of Christ and believers in Jesus Christ. And Paul says here that the believer's citizenship is in heaven. For followers of Christ, if that's you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, for followers of Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. But right now, and you're thinking this, but right now I live on earth. Right now, we're in here and now on earth. Heaven is where my citizenship is, but, but don't forget, we're living right here. I haven't forgotten and neither has Paul. It certainly is great coming home, isn't it? I remember when I was discharged from the Marines, I drove from Charleston, South Carolina to Battle Creek, Michigan in about 13 hours straight through. I stopped, I think, for two or three tanks of gas, a bathroom break, a Snickers bar, and another Mountain Dew, and I kept driving because I couldn't wait to get home. I was excited about getting home. There's something special about going back home. I couldn't wait to get home, even though my accommodations living in a barracks with a bunch of Marines wasn't all that bad. Really, it wasn't. But being home was a lot better, and I was anticipating that, looking forward to that. And so, let's just say, I speedily drove home. I was in a big hurry, and I couldn't wait to get home. I was looking forward to seeing my family and a very special young lady that I was interested in. 
no matter how wonderful it is living with a bunch of Marines, (laughs) your earthly home looks a lot better, doesn't it? Think about that in relation to heaven. No matter how your earthly home looks, no matter how great it is to come home after 10 days in a tent, no matter how good your earthly home is, it will never begin to compare to the heavenly home that awaits everyone whose faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no comparison. For believers, our citizenship is in heaven. Our eternal home is in heaven with the Lord. Don't you long for that? Do you long for that? That eternal home to be there with Christ, to see him face to face and and say, Jesus saves, as we sang this morning, to recognize him and say, Jesus, you save. Praise God. We have that to anticipate. I look forward to that. Today we remember it's September 11th, 15 years ago today. Our nation was attacked by enemies who would like to annihilate us. And it is one more reminder, looking back to that day, thinking about the culture we live in, the world we live in, and the upset and the turmoil that we live in. It, in that alone should make us anticipate and look forward to our, our eternal home in heaven where all those things will be eliminated, all the tears wiped away, all sin conquered by Christ. Sometimes, as believers, we can get pretty comfortable here on earth, though, can't we? Even though we live in tumultuous times and crazy election cycles and difficulty around and the difficulties that are going on in each and every one of our lives represented in this room, We can still get pretty comfortable here on earth at times, can't we? Maybe we don't think enough about heaven and how wonderful it will be, so so we really don't anticipate it as much as we should. I've often heard it said that God didn't give us too much information about heaven because he didn't want us to get too excited about going there too quickly. Boy, I don't know. Can we get too excited about being in heaven? Paul wants our perspective to change here, I think. We do know about heaven. We do know that it is an amazing place. God's word tells us a little bit about heaven. It doesn't tell us everything, but it gives us enough information about heaven to help us anticipate and gain excitement for that. But there's a purpose for that anticipation. There's a purpose for that excitement. The believer's citizenship is in heaven. Yes, a wonderful future awaits the child of God. Yes. And yes, you ought to enjoy thoughts of heaven and the future that awaits you. Just... Listen to Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Sounds good, doesn't it? God's people ought to be going, praise God. Amen. Sounds good. And listen to these other passages from Revelation. Revelation 21, verse 18. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like like clear glass. 
Revelation 22, verse 1. That, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Revelation 22, verse 5. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We can't fully comprehend, I don't believe, that we can fully comprehend or understand what a magnificent place heaven will be. We can see in God's word brief descriptions like this that can help build our anticipation, but still, I don't think we have a glimpse, a a very clear and powerful glimpse of what heaven will be like because we're still living here and we're looking at the here and now. But heaven is a stark contrast to what we saw last week. God has shown us in His Word that we do have a wonderful future in store for all who have trusted in Jesus Christ. That's a stark contrast to the torment and destruction that awaits enemies of the cross of Christ that verse 19 points to. And when we look at the sinfulness in this world, when we look at the sinfulness around us, when we look at our own lives and and we remember that we're still fighting sin in our own lives, we need to remember that our citizenship is in heaven. We need to praise God that our citizenship is in heaven. As believers, we need to understand that our lives are not just to be lived for the here and now. A heavenly eternity awaits and citizens of heaven ought to live with that heavenly outlook in mind. We hear it in places like Matthew chapter 6 and verse 20, which is a powerful reminder to us. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Colossians 3.2 Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And the implication for us in passages like that and the implication for us in the verses here at the closing of chapter 3 is that we're to keep from becoming overburdened by the cares of this world. And to do that, to keep from becoming overburdened by the cares of this world, we need to keep our focus on Christ. To deal with the here and now, to live here and to keep the proper perspective. We keep our eyes on Christ. We feed our soul with the Word of God. We read our Bibles and we, we hear God's Word proclaimed. We listen wholeheartedly to the Word preached. And we read the Word of God for ourselves. Citizens of heaven seek to live lives that are conformed to the Word of God. Citizens of heaven seek to live lives for the eternal good of not only their own souls, but of the souls of others. They want their lives to count for eternity. And so they want their lives to count for today. They invest their time in pleasing the Lord, citizens of heaven. They find that their growing anticipation for heaven clarifies their purpose here on earth. The heavenly home that awaits, the transformation with resurrected bodies made to be like Christ that awaits, 
all believers in Jesus Christ, that is a motivator to us in the here and now to live for Christ while we await his return or while we await for him to call us home. That leads us to the second half of verse 20. We see in verse 20, the second half, the believer's expectation. The believer's expectation. Not only is our citizenship in heaven, but we have something to live in expectation of. As believers, we have the return of Jesus Christ to look forward to. Paul says in verse 20 that it's from heaven. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word translated await here has the sense of, of eagerly, eagerly waiting for something. Eagerly waiting, in this case, for Christ's return. But it also carries along with it the sense of waiting with patience. We ought not get impatient. We should be excitedly looking forward to Christ's coming. We're, we're eager to see Him, aren't we? We're e- eager to see Christ, are we not? I don't see how we can read God's Word and gather with God's people and sing songs of worship and come to a time of worship in the Word like now and not look forward to the joy of being in the presence of the Lord and the joy with being with brothers and sisters in Christ to worship Him. We are eager to see Christ, aren't we? I hope we are. And, and the Lord certainly could re- return to rapture His church at any moment. Many saints through the ages have expressed their excitement to thinking about that day, thinking about the return of Christ, and yet many have died, of course, before that return, have gone on before us. Christ could return, though, at any moment, and we are eagerly awaiting that return, I trust. As we read God's Word, as we attend these times of worship together with God's churches, we open the Word of God and we proclaim the words of truth, all of that in eager expectation of the return of Christ. Christ could return at any moment, and we are to be eagerly waiting His return. And yet, there needs to be a balance there. There needs to be patience while we wait. I wonder if you've ever been so excited about something that you were very unproductive while you were waiting for that thing to occur because you couldn't think of anything else in the meantime. I struggle with things like that. If I have a big responsibility waiting for me, I have a hard time thinking about anything else until that responsibility is taken care of. You get impatient, don't you? You have trouble keeping yourself occupied. Well, I think the idea of patience here suggests that we're to be busy serving the Lord. We're not to be sitting on our hands. We're not to be doing nothing while we wait. We are to be patient, but that patience means we, we serve the Lord in the meantime, awaiting Him, being prepared for His return. We're not to be like those groups of people who've convinced themselves that there is a set date and time and they know what it is, and so they go off on a mountain somewhere and do nothing and wait for the Lord Jesus' return. And the date passes and they've done nothing. What should preoccupy us is not the return of Christ and what day it is, but the return of Christ and being ready for that day, not knowing when it is, knowing that only the Lord knows the day and the hour. What should preoccupy us is an eager expectation that motivates us to serve Christ until that day occurs, living each day like this could be the day that Jesus returns. Instead of growing impatient, we are to keep serving him not for the sake of passing time, but so that we'll be ready, 
but not only so that we'll be ready, but so that others will also be ready. Right now, God is being patient, God's word tells us. He is being patient. And he is giving us an opportunity to share Christ. We've heard of many opportunities in our fellowship in the coming days and weeks and months that we're going to be involved sharing Christ, sharing the gospel. And those are just a few I think of the number of people represented in this room and I think that every person who is trusted in Lord Jesus Christ is an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed right where we live, right in this community, right where God has us working, right in our own homes, right in our own neighborhoods. So we don't eagerly await serving the Lord only for our own good, but also for the good of others. Not only so we'll be ready, but also so that they'll be ready. Luke chapter 12 and verse 40 says, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so we eagerly wait, and we eagerly ready ourselves for Jesus' return, and we do that by faithfully serving Him. We take the Word of God as our guide, and we gather with God's church, God's people, and we serve side by side for the sake of the gospel. We eagerly wait by readying ourselves for Jesus' return by faithfully, obey, obediently serving Him. And God has equipped us, each one. I believe God has given each one of us talents and gifts that He is intending for us to use for His glory. We eagerly await by serving, by being faithful. Think about what you do when you've got company coming. What do you do when you know you're going to have company? You hurry around the house and you make preparations. You enlist all the helpers you can find. You get the house ship shape and you make some special food. And when everything's in order, you can look forward to the arrival of your company. But if things are a disaster, if you haven't been shopping lately... You're going to hope that nobody shows up at your house anytime soon. You're not ready. You're not prepared for guests. So if we're eagerly waiting for our Savior, if we're going to prepare to meet Him, we're going to pay attention to putting our spiritual houses in order. We're going to pay attention to our own hearts, our own lives. We're going to feed our lives, our souls, with the Word of God. We're going to gather with God's people to encourage one another, to build one another up. And to strengthen ourselves for sharing the gospel with a lost community that surrounds us. We're going to pay attention to serving Christ, to being prepared, to being ready for his return at any moment, any day. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a tremendous promise here in verse 20. And you can live with great hope and anticipation as you look forward to the Lord's return. And that will be a great source of encouragement to you as you live in the midst of a sin-filled world that seems so far out of control that it feels like you don't have anything to say about what's going on. You serve Christ. You serve the King of kings and Lord of lords who is in control and will return one day. I like what Corey Tenboom said. She said, we're not a post-war generation, but a pre-peace generation. She lived during World War II. Many of you know her story. We're not a post-war generation, but a pre-peace generation. Jesus is coming, and he will bring peace. But we live in a day that needs to be reminded. People need to be reminded, but he will also bring judgment on those who have re- 
refuse to trust in him, who have refused to turn to Jesus Christ in faith. And so I ask you, are you eagerly waiting for Christ's return? Are you looking forward to that day? Are you looking at every day as an opportunity to make an eternal investment, not only for your own life, but for the lives of people around you who need to either be encouraged in Christ, in their faith, growing in their faith, or who need Christ, who need to hear the gospel message and see it lived out in your life? We've seen here the believer's citizenship and the believer's expectation And now I want you to consider with me the believer's transformation. The believer's transformation, this will be incredible. As believers, we can look forward to this when when this physical body that we dwell in on earth will be transformed to be like Christ. And we can praise God for that. Look at verse 21 again. Who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Maybe you like to watch those makeover TV shows. There's never been and never will be a makeover TV show that can come anywhere close to the transformation in store for the believer in Jesus. They pale in comparison. They are weak. They are weak to illustrate this point. Because at the resurrection of the dead, we will be given glorified bodies. All whose faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ receive a glorified body at the resurrection like that of Jesus Christ. No longer will we be subject to physical limitations and problems that we're dealing with now. No longer will we be dealing with disease and pain and suffering. No longer will we be dealing with sin. Disease and sin has taken a toll on the bodies that we inhabit on earth. But I think 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 and following are a wonderful help here. I just love this passage. I want you to listen carefully to it as I read. A wonderful description of what awaits us. 1 Corinthians 15, and verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life 
giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Praise God. That's the transformation of our failing earthly bodies to glorified bodies like that of Christ. Incredible. What we have to look forward to as believers are glorious bodies. We'll be perfected, which we cannot say as hard as we try here on earth. We'll be conformed to the glorious body of Christ. What a wonderful promise that is. Now you might be thinking, but what about the person who dies? What about their body placed in the ground? It decays. How can a decayed earthly body be transformed into a glorious heavenly body? Verse 21 tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ can and will do it all by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Do not forget the Lord Jesus Christ, able to subject all things to himself. He is able to manage the whole universe, and he can instantly change our bodies into a glorified body, and for that we praise God. We look forward to that day. We anticipate that day. You may suffer severe physical limitations here on earth, But if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you can look forward to the day when your body will be transformed. The blind will see. The lame, they'll walk. The deaf will hear. Our bodies will be glorified and our souls, they will be sanctified. The fight against our own sin will be over and we will enjoy perfect fellowship with the Lord. What a wonderful day that will be. What a wonderful eternity we have to live in anticipation of. What joy and hope we have as believers. What promises are ours in Christ. We have an incredible future in store. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you repented of sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ so that you too can live in anticipation of that incredible and wonderful eternity? I want to remind you, maybe you've heard me say this before, but if you have not trusted in Christ, you can confess your sin to Him now. Confess your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and He will save you now. I'm here to speak with you about that at any time. I would love to talk to you about that. If you have questions about that, please talk to me. But you can do that even now, right where you sit. In prayer, asking God to forgive your sins, repenting of those sins, trusting in Jesus Christ and Him alone for your salvation. And all of this, and hear this, beloved, those those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ, all of this, the believer's citizenship, 
The believer's expectation and the believer's transformation, those things ought to motivate us. Those realities ought to motivate us and move us to keep living for Christ while he keeps us here in this place. To keep living for the Lord Jesus Christ, to keep serving Christ today as we anticipate all that is ours because of Christ. We're reminded of this by the verses that we're reciting together this month. We recited them this morning, 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. We recited them earlier, but I want to recite them again. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me if you're able? I'm going to ask for those verses back on the screen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join us in the front as we prepare to close with a song. And as they come, I want to recite those verses again because this is a picture of what awaits for us because of Christ. Start with a reference. Say the verses with me and end with a reference. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Let's pray. Our precious